You are listening to the Next Best Picture podcast, and this is our review of Reminiscence. You're going on a journey. A journey through memory. All you have to do is follow my voice. We're closed. I know. I'm sorry it's late. We have time for one more job. began to rise and war broke out. Nostalgia became a way of life. There wasn't a lot to look forward to. So people began looking back. Nothing is more addictive than the past. No, 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 put me back. Put me back. I understand. She's moved on, and you should too. People don't just to find where she'd gone, I had to know where she'd been. Was she running from the past? Or racing back towards it? How much did you really know her? How much did you love Who was she? Who was she but not with me? You think you want answers? Well, you don't. Where is she? Where is she? Larson, bribery, murder. People love their secrets. Don't go down this path. Stay here, in this life. Blind eye to plenty. I have to do this. That machine of yours, how close can you get before the illusion's broken? You're going on a journey. All you have to do is follow my voice. All right, everybody, you were just listening to the trailer for Reminiscence, and the story is as follows. A scientist discovers a way to relive your past and uses technology to search for his long-lost love, while a private investigator uncovers a conspiracy while helping his clients recover lost memories. The film is starring Hugh Jackman, Rebecca Ferguson, Tandy Way Newton, and Cliff Curtis. It is written and directed by Lisa Joy. Here to join me today for this podcast review, I have Bianca Gardner. Hello. Josh Parham. Hello, hello. And Dan Bear. We're going on a journey. All you have to do is follow the sound of my voice. <laughs> okay. The waters are rising. Oh. Let's reminisce on this movie, shall we? <laughs> so, featured directorial debut for Lisa Joy, co-creator of Westworld, amongst other television projects as well. Being given the keys to the kingdom here, a pretty uh, high-budgeted film all overall, which is a rarity for an original IP, not based on a pre-existing material of any kind. So there's a lot of factors here that you know I myself am personally rooting to see succeed because, quite frankly, this is the kind of 
you know, like a film that I feel like we used to get a lot in the 90s, early 2000s, and they rarely make these kinds of movies anymore. I'm curious to know what you all think about it. It is currently playing in theaters and streaming on HBO Max. I'm going to pass it off first to Dan Baer. Dan, what did you think of Reminiscence? (laughs) I I have jokingly said in conversations with people that this is the kind of movie that would have been made in like 1997 with like Kurt Russell and Linda Fiorentino and would have (laughs) opened it would have opened at number one in a week week at the box office and then quickly fallen out of the top 10 after like barely recouping its budget and then someone reminded me that actually strange days exists and i was like oh yeah this is very similar to strange days but not quite as ballsy i actually really liked reminiscence quite a bit um mostly because it is it is one of the most straight up noir films that I've seen come out new recently. Um, for like ninety five percent of its running time, this is as straight a noir as you will ever find. Um, it unfortunately kind of bungles the ending. I think it can't quite commit to that darkness that is at the heart of noir. But I loved the production design and I thought the cinematography and visual effects looked really good. And I thought Hugh Jackman and Rebecca Ferguson especially were great. I thought Hugh Jackman is a perfect (laughs) noir lead. Rebecca Ferguson is obviously our new femme fatale queen. And I thought Tate Newton was a really good girl Friday. I, I really liked it. I don't think that everything quite comes together the way that Lisa Joy may have wanted it to or was intending it to, but it's a good watch. It's not great, but it's good. All right, cool. Passing it over next to Bianca Gardner. Yeah, I kind of echo what Dan was saying. I think I like the world building. I thought it was very interesting because, you know, this was this different type of noir dystopia that we see, like it was set you know, with the sun and the water, I thought that was a really interesting sort of take on it. It wasn't like everything looked run down, but it also had this brightness to it. And that was something that was kind of refreshing to see. I didn't, you know, wasn't these like rainy Blade Runner cities that we see. Bianca, in America, we call that place Miami, Florida. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's a real place. Oh, okay. Yes. <laughs> Um, don't be upset i didn't recognize that it was miami at first either yeah (laughs) it looks beautiful i mean yeah um if that's what the future's gonna look like i i'm all on board for that yeah i i found yeah that the world building was really interesting i wanted a bit more of that like i felt the story was just a little bit too standard you know like the typical film noir but i wanted a bit more i wanted some more i don't know politics at play a bit more sort of holding up a mirror to our current society I wanted more of that sort of explored and and possibly the the issue here is because it is a film um and if this had been a sort of a um a tv series maybe more of that world would have been explored um and that's what 
is kind of frustrating because the actual story I feel is very weak. Um, whereas the rest of the movie is quite, yeah, you know, interesting and, and all this sort of stuff that's going on, these dynamics between the poor people sort of having to swim about and the rich people living on the dry land and it was just a bit average, I guess, really, in terms of the story. And it, it just kind of ruined it for me, my overall enjoyment of the film. All right. Josh Parham, what did you think of Reminiscence? So I'm going to echo many sentiments that have already been stated. I actually did end up liking this movie a lot more than, honestly, I thought I would. And I think a large part of that has to do with, as was stated the kind of world building that goes on in this movie. I think that this film does have a very kind of distinct look to it. And I did find that the further we explored sort of like the technology and the different aspects of this world, I found myself very intrigued by that. And I think it's designed particularly well. I will agree that I think the story is the weakest part of it. I think there are some elements that are pretty strong in particular, kind of the emotions, the emotional arcs that these characters go through was surprisingly effective for me, but I do think that it does kind of fall back on some traditional noir tropes that feel a little, as was said, kind of standard and average and is not particularly innovative, despite the setting that this movie takes place in. And I think eventually I kind of get, a little tiresome of the structure of the movie and it doesn't really pull me in all the way through. Um, but at the same time, I think that the performances from the actors are still really great and the overall kind of aesthetic and tone of it, I found myself very much invested in. So the story is not the best. I definitely will admit, I think that's the weakest part, but there's a lot of other elements that really impressed me. And I ended up actually, like, like I said, liking this movie a lot more than I thought I would. Yeah, I was really taken in by the themes of the film in terms of looking back on the past because the future is just so incredibly bleak that we have nothing else to, you know, ultimately hold on to. Yeah, nothing that we can relate to. Yeah. <laughs> nothing that anyone can relate to in 2021. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> and that, that definitely resonated with me for obvious reasons, like Dan was just saying here, uh, but also to this idea of being trapped in the past and how it can be so alluring to the point that we can get lost in it and kind of lose our grasp on the reality of here and now. I was really, really taken by that aspect of it. I think that Hugh Jackman is a very charismatic and powerful uh, performer when he's in this driven, obsessive kind of mode. It's like the kind of uh, territory that we've seen him explore in movies like The Prestige or The Fountain, Prisoners. And I feel like sometimes he has like only three tricks up his sleeve. It's usually that musical Hugh Jackman and Wolverine. <laughs> and that's like, I, I almost don't really know if there's uh, anything else there for him to offer. But I much prefer when he's in that first register. And that's what he is delivering upon here. He's brooding. He's tortured. He's very emotional. Like Josh said, I do like the emotional arcs that both he and uh, uh Tendaway Newton uh, both go on actually and even though I felt like she was a bit sidelined compared to him um, I was happy that at least she still got some form of an arc in there as well but the real star of this movie I think is the production design I really 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 enjoyed the world building as was mentioned here before I love the little details I love the homage to the film noir uh, genre 
like Dan said, it's pretty much a straight-up film noir. Yes, there are these futuristic sci-fi elements thrown in there as well. And, of course, because Lisa Joy is married to uh, Jonathan Nolan, uh, stepbrother Christopher Nolan, it's only natural that the, the theme of time... <laughs> would somehow find its way into uh, the storytelling here. And I do find that time is actually the greatest villain of all in this movie compared to the actual villains uh, played by, you know, Cliff Curtis and a few others that I won't spoil here. And I just found all of that to be incredibly disappointing. So it's like a bit of a mixed bag for me, but at the same time, I walked away more positive than negative, I think because... A, I wanted to like this movie, and B, I was very captivated by the world building, and I did find myself getting uh, really caught up in uh, not just the setting, but also the themes that the movie was exploring as well, even if it was a bit messy at times. Yeah. 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 I think it's great to see like an original movie, you know, out Right? There. Yeah, but in a way, it kind yeah. of made me. This movie kind of made me think of. Um, is it Transcendent? Oh gosh, the one with Johnny Transcendence. Depp. Yeah. Transcendence. That's what I was thinking. I was just like, this is just like um, just another sort of like Nolan esque type of imitation. But at least this was a bit more exciting and had something that was, uh, you know, that emotional punch to it, whereas... I, I give that to Hugh Jackman, mostly. You know, yeah, it's like, yeah, if you... Right. You need your lead character to be someone that is uh, a performer that we have a pre-existing relationship with and somebody that we feel comfortable with on screen. I don't think you could have cast an unknown in the lead role. I think it would have fallen flat and it wouldn't have worked then, but because it's Hugh Jackman, um, I do feel that that is like really the key to the movie's ultimate like success if if you do consider it a success uh because he's the one who has to guide us on this journey through all this world building and this conspiracy mystery and his own character's emotional journey as well i'm ken harbaugh host of burn the boats from evergreen podcasts i interview political leaders and influencers folks like award-winning journalist soledad o'brien and conservative columnist bill crystal about the choices they confront when failure is not an option i won't agree with everyone i talk to but i respect anyone who believes in something enough to risk everything for it because history belongs to those willing to burn the boats episodes are out every other week wherever you get your podcasts Hello, and welcome to Novel Conversations, a podcast about the world's greatest stories. I'm your host, Frank Lavallo, and for each episode of Novel Conversations, I talk to two readers about one book. And together, we summarize the story for you. We introduce you to the characters, we tell you what happens to them, and we read from the book along the way. So if you love hearing a good story, you're in the right place. Our ninth season is coming this fall. Tune in to hear from some of the all-time great authors, Charles Dickens, Jules Verne, F. Scott Fitzgerald, and more. Subscribe to Novel Conversations wherever you listen to podcasts. It's really interesting because he was not my favorite performance, or I think the most effective performance by a long shot. For me, that is easily Rebecca Ferguson. Oh, I, I don't <laughs> disagree with that either. I actually think Rebecca Ferguson is... Maybe the 
most stunningly photographed that she's ever been yeah. <laughs> in any movie that she starred in. And she is gorgeous to begin with. But holy hell, the way that she uh, just pulls off some of these uh, dresses that she's wearing. Um, I mean... <laughs> Guys, we're, we're, we're one film away from a trilogy of Hugh Jackman falling in love with Rebecca Ferguson singing. I mean, come on. <laughs> I'm here for it, honestly, especially if she gets to use her own voice, which is what it sounded like she was doing here. Yeah. I just was so fascinated. Not It was her character where I really felt like, oh, no, yeah, this is a classic femme fatale with like a little bit of a twist at the end, but like, I really loved everything they were doing with that character. And for me, she was the real emotional through line of this movie, which I wasn't really expecting. I was expecting it to be more about Jackman and his character, but she was really, for me, what made the film work as well as it did. In addition yeah. to the you know world building and the production design, which is fantastic yeah at times Hugh Jackman's character I kept thinking this reminded me of a video game in a way <laughs> like I felt like he was just like a cat you know when you're just playing a character and you, you know it's like well, you know when he's at the DA's office and yeah. they're revisiting the memories it's all like done in first person point of view so in that yeah. way I kind of get what you're saying there yeah yeah and I was just thinking this it's like um what is it heavy rain or like beyond two souls that type of thing where you make choices mm -hmm. and i was just like this would have been a great game i would have preferred to play this than actually watch a movie because i would love to have seen like what sort of situations like where the story would take you if you made certain decisions. <laughs> you make a wrong choice and you get misled <laughs> and then it's like you start shaking and the game just says yeah. game over <laughs> but i that's what i'm I, I just felt like his character in a way just felt very much passive in in certain things. Like there was the backstory there for him, but we didn't really see much of him, his life, if you know what I mean. Like it was just all sort of alluded to, whereas the other characters, there was so much more emotional depth to them. And I was really invested in both the female characters. I, I was so on board with their stories. And I just felt like he was drifting about. Isn't that the idea, though, that he's yeah. like supposed to be so obsessive that yeah. we're not really supposed to get any kind of uh, look into his life, uh, you know, either before or during any of this? Because that's the idea is that they're trying to drive home that he is fixated on this woman who clearly he's head over heels in love with and he may not even know her all that well but i think that's also part of the fact that you know and it's alluded to that uh the two tours that he served in the war and everything else being this you know ex-veteran like i i think that it, you know considering that that is his past and his future is going to be clearly underwater in however many years and you know it just looks like there's no hope uh, in both the future and also uh, in the past for him that that kind of, that did work for me, you know, because they stripped away everything else to make him. Uh, yeah, I, I think also, too, I want to just say, like, sometimes you can fall into a trap when you have a very obsessive character over a female, another female character that 
sometimes it can like just borderline on creepy. <laughs> but I never got that here in terms of their relationship. I did find it to be very sincere in terms of how much he loved her. And then there is this mystery of, well, did she ever really love him? And of course, the movie answers that by the end. And I, I think a very hokey sort of way but we can talk about that later if you want <laughs> i the thing that bothers me is the like I, this is very much a trope especially of noir films so i was willing to give this film a little bit more leeway on that front but like yeah. the whole like who was she when not with me like did, did was she lying to me the whole time and oh, it's wow. like like I won't oh wow film noir <laughs> yeah, it's like, oh, the very idea that a woman has a life outside of a man is so like mind-blowing to you like <laughs> come on of course she does right but that said in context of what they're doing i was like okay i'll go with it but there were moments when he was doing that when it was just like dude she is a person. <laughs> but they also use that to, I think, also explore um, his flaws. And, you know, that's really, I think, done through uh, the Watts character, uh, his partner uh, played by Tandy uh, Way Newton, where she's noticing that the path that he's going down is one that's only going to lead to pain and suffering and is not going to, you know, ultimately, you know, have a happy ending, as they say a couple times here in this movie. Which I also liked because I think that that allowed then for there to be some interesting character dynamics between the two of them. Although I would have liked for that to have been fleshed out just a tad bit more as well. Because like I said, I do feel like the movie sidelines her um, a little bit too much where I never feel like they're equal in terms equals in terms of partners. Even though she is constantly saving his ass, he's like the most incompetent action hero I think I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> well, that's like a lot of protagonists in noirs you know yeah. they're right yeah they're usually rather <laughs> passive and incompetent even though they're the leads and i find that all to be contributing to my biggest issues with the movie is not only does it indulge in these tropes which you know it's meant to be a very direct kind of reference to noir so i don't necessarily have a problem with that um inherently but it's more so that most of the revelations that happen are rather obvious and you can spot them from a mile away and the movie treats them like they are very grandiose revelations that happen and it's like well this doesn't i don't think this really deserves that much fanfare because it felt so much like an easy answer that the movie would go to and i think that was the source of my frustration with the storytelling was not just that it was conventional it was more so that it treated its conventions as, as if it was innovative and i think that was a problem for me throughout most of this film with its story. It's kind of incredible that the movie has the budget that it has. It's a first time feature debut. And I guess maybe the compromise of it all was maybe she did get studio notes. I don't know, saying you got to make this accessible for a mainstream audience. You can't make this story super convoluted. No one has any idea what's happening. You know, like, I, I almost got this sense throughout it that even though there was probably a lot of leeway given in terms of her executing her vision, I guarantee that there was probably notes on the, the plot level of we we can't lose we can't lose the audience with this. This needs to be like a, a box office hit of some sort, even though we're obviously in a pandemic now to the point that like it made me think 
this almost could have been um, like a made-for-television movie. And I don't mean that like in a demeaning way. I just mean in terms of its storytelling, I don't think was ever meant to be something that was going to challenge us. Oh, I actually somewhat disagree with that. I mean, at least in terms of her original vision, I think that it's very clear that that ending was studio mandated. Oh, yeah. No, because you were you were saying earlier, you know, 95 percent of the movie is, you know, hearkening to the film noir genre. And this ending is I, I think it wants to have it both ways. It wants yeah. to be happy, but it also wants to be poignant at the same time. But instead, I almost felt like that there was this darker, more cynical route that they could have taken with it all. And yep. they didn't. Um, with that said, I liked the sad full circle aspect of the ending i didn't like that they had to actually pronounce to the audience that it was happy like through dialogue i was like can you just leave that open for interpretation for the audience please you know yeah i I felt like the ending was cheap Yes. Yeah. It it just felt very almost like, oh, we don't think our audience are clever enough to get this reference. Right. Exactly. Let's just, you know, spell it out. Uh, You know, it's like they almost got to turn to the character, uh, the camera and be like, it's it's you can have it as a happy ending, Mm -hmm. but it's also very sad. You know, it just felt really like, I guess, patronizing in a way like uh, I just it ruined the overall enjoyment of the film because I I was really invested in, you know, towards the ending. I thought it was interesting. We see him do something so dark, you know, with um, replaying that memory. Yeah, for for the Cliff Curtis yeah, character. Oh my yeah, God. Mm-hmm. Like, I was like, whoa, I didn't think it was going to go there. But like that was I really thought the movie was going to hit a turning point at there yeah. in terms of, OK, how deep now is nick going with this but th- th- that was kind of the the extent of it like that was as far as he was gonna go in his uh journey to find may mm. and that's okay but at the same time it y- you're right bianca it just kind of then led to this what felt like a studio dis- uh studio mandated uh decision to kind of have the ending wrap up very nicely with this neat little bow and yeah Eh, you know, I, yeah. I I will admit it. It definitely did knock down my score a bit, a bit there. Like for what it is, I think it does a good job of like giving the studio what they wanted. I guess if that if that's the case, yeah. If if, if that is the case, I mean, for all we know, this was everything that Lisa Joy intended, and she got everything that she wanted. And you know, it's just something that we agree to disagree on. I'll say this: like, if it is what she wanted, then that I would have to take my grade of this down a notch, honestly, <laughs> because then it suddenly becomes a different movie. And like, why are you even doing this? But like, it's like everything that Bianca said, really, it felt false. Like they went to a really good, interesting, dark place. And I really would have loved if they had left it there, but then no, we have to have this like tacked on bit with, Tandyway Newton and like she sells it, but it feels so antithetical to everything else that the movie is doing. Yeah, I, you know what? I'm actually going to stick up for the ending just a little bit. Uh, I do think that it could have been better executed. There's definitely 
they get to that resolution, I think, a little quickly and do some sort of hand-waving to get us to that moment. And I do agree that there are some things about it that don't work for me. But I think why overall I'm sort of fine with it is, one, right before it, we get this really good scene between Hugh Jackman and Rebecca Ferguson where they're both, like, crying. And, like, even Cliff Curtis is involved in that scene, which I was – that surprised me, too. Like, it was an incredibly emotional moment right there. And then – The movie does set up this conversation earlier about telling a happy story and all endings are sad unless you stop in the middle. So, like, they did set it up. Maybe it wasn't, like, the strongest resolution, but at least felt thematically connected to what the movie had already sort of set up previously. And for that, I I was fine with it. I agree that it wasn't, like, the strongest of endings, but it had enough elements to justified within the narrative and it was set up you know maybe that earlier scene just hit me so hard that i love that scene so much that it kind of erased some of the other sins after that scene so i yeah it's not a great ending but i didn't have as many issues with it like you guys did see that's the scene for me that i referenced earlier as being just a little too hokey for me uh, because, yeah. quite frankly, it's nothing to do with Hugh Jackman or Rebecca Ferguson. I actually think that they are selling it pretty well, all things considered. It's Cliff Curtis for me. And he never, not once in this movie, clicked for me as an antagonist. Uh, I think his big fight scene with Hugh Jackman is very overdone. <laughs> to the point that I was like, wow, this is still going. And this is very expansive. And I don't understand why, because I really don't feel like I know who this character is that he warrants such a big, big, big set piece like this. And then, you know, when he's having uh, his moment there with Rebecca Ferguson in that scene, uh, just all of it was landing flat for me because his character is confused. And I'm like, shouldn't this guy have an idea of who she's referencing and it's clearly not him? I, I just found it to be unbelievable. Yeah, I also think we we didn't really get introduced to him quick enough, you know? Like, if he had been, like, sort of um, earlier on in the movie, like, it, it almost feels like the movie should have been slightly longer to pad out his character. If he had, we had a bit more sort of confrontation between Hugh Jackman's character and his character, that, you know, it would have had more of an impact but it just feels a bit like, oh, you thought it was this vil- this guy, but actually it's this one, you know? Like, I thought the the main antagonist would have been the the gangster guy with the fish tank. Oh, St. Joe. St. Joe, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, I, I actually really liked him. I was like, I want a bit more of him, please. But that's the problem, <laughs> though, is that all of the film's villains are, I think, incredibly weak. Even, God bless her, uh... Marina de Tavira uh, in this and like, you know, her son and like all, all this other stuff that's going on with like that whole aspect of the story. And it's just like none of that was anywhere near as interesting to me as Nick finding May uh, and what was the ultimate resolution of that. So, yeah, I, I think that is sort of the point of the movie. I'm not yeah. saying that that is excusable, but I'm just saying that I think that this film, like a lot of noirs, where you kind of feel like the point is the journey that this character goes on and whatever they interact with is sort of secondary to get them to that goal. And I think that has always been something of the genre itself that has been something that I have also resisted. And that is present here. I agree with you, Matt, that I think that the whole resolution of these villains and their goals 
is not very interesting. It's very like basic and obvious. And I and I mentioned that is the source of my frustration. Yeah. But I do think that this movie at least finds a way in its tone and its style and in its performances to keep me invested, even though the story elements are rather surface level and don't feel that creative. But Bianca just said something a second ago, too, that also kind of reinforces why I think that even though this movie is trying to pass itself off as, you know, a uh, highly original executed vision from, you know, a new filmmaker here in Lisa Joy, I was shocked that this movie is under two hours long. Shocked. I like I well, first of all, I, I headed into it initially thinking it was going to be two and a half hours long based on yeah, a previously like, reported <laughs> runtime. But to find out that it was less than two hours, all I could think to myself was, okay, either Lisa Joy is just being a very economical storyteller here, or once again, studio says, We'll give you all this, we'll let you do this. It's gotta come in under two hours. <laughs> I hope there's a director's cut, you know? Like, right, so this way we can get, like flesh it out a bit more. I would like that. Hashtag joy cut. <laughs> yeah, did it, but like, you know, I all this does feel like in that sort of way, like this movie that it is made in collaboration between filmmaker and studio. And it's like, okay, well, I want this. Well, we want this so that we can sell the movie better. And it just feels like it is kind of a compromised film in that way. Yeah, it, it really does. And it's sad because I really do want there to be more movies like this. Oh, yeah. I want more original IP stuff, but there's just... <laughs> it feels like this was made by Lisa Joy for Lisa Joy. And I... Unfortunately, most general audiences are not Lisa Joy. <laughs> oh, no. I mean, even Westworld fans have kind of dwindled over the yeah. last couple of years. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I get that. But in that regard, though, um, it was kind of cool to see a lot of past Westworld collaborators uh, back in this. Uh, you know, Tandaway Newton, as we mentioned before. Uh, we have Raman Jawadi doing the score. The score was great. It lo oh, the movie looks and sounds mm -hmm. really good. <laughs> Paul Cameron, uh, he's a cinematographer on Westworld as well. Uh, so it definitely has, I think, sometimes, you know, just this very, it, it, like you said, Dan, it looks really, really good. Uh, it looks incredibly well polished uh, and definitely utilizes like shadow and light very well with its uh, HD cinematography. Uh, and then, of course, as we mentioned, the production design is fantastic. I just love the, I love the clock shop. I love nick and watts's you know lair with the tank and just even um the fight scene with uh cliff curtis where i, I this it, i i don't remember what kind of a building it was like a rundown building with the piano in it there's just like a lot oh, of detail yeah. put into these yeah. sets and then yeah. they got to submerge them in water on top of that too oh yeah the, the production design honestly it's my favorite of the year so far mm -hmm. and what i love about it is it reminds me a lot of what like Nathan Crowley usually does, which is he can take a sci-fi kind of futuristic world and still like infuse it with a sense of grounded reality. So it seems like it could actually happen, but it's like just enough science fiction to be unique, but also attainable. And like, that's more difficult to do than you would think. And I think the production design sells it really, really well. It is by far my favorite uh, tech element of this movie and like i said at this point it's my favorite of the year yeah i'm just, completely with you on that josh 
I just want to say, though, everybody was riding around in boats, but where were the jet skis? Come on. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I mean, especially it's Florida. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> I really did love, like, there's that set that is, or the, I guess it's not a set, it's a whole area, but, like, that was, like, there there was a Ferris wheel, but I don't want to call it a carnival. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. That was just like everything. It was like a combination like market and street fair and carnival things that was supposed to be in like this lower income part of town that like it just like everything about that world seemed it did feel real and lived in and like it was, well, we got to make do with what we got for for the people in the world, not for the people building the sets. <laughs> yeah. And it felt like real and scrappy in a way that most production design jobs on sci-fi movies don't like they kind of go for more fantastical stuff and here it was just no it's it's florida but there's you know a foot of water (laughs) at least everywhere (laughs) and i love that sort of like near future or like it's the present day but you know jump a couple of places over in the multiverse kind of thing it feels adjacent to our world but not quite in our world and i think that helps with a lot of what the movie's going for i also really loved how they interacted with the memories i guess like the machine that they hook everyone up to and look at the memories on i really liked that design although i have to ask like the explanation that he gives in the movie for why when you're looking at the memories, you can see the person who is living them. I did not buy it. I'm sorry. Oh, interesting. Didn't buy it at all. Is there a reason for that? Or like, was there a moment in the movie or that stood out to you for that? Or well, it, when the movie started and we're first going into these memories and you see the person who is living them, I was like, no, that's not how memories work. Like, you're the protagonist. You wouldn't see yourself. How is Mm. this working? And then when Hugh Jackman's character gave the explanation of why it works that way to, to Rebecca Ferguson's character, I was just sitting there like, no, I don't think I ever, when I think back on memories, I don't ever really see myself. You see it like in that first person point of view. <laughs> yeah. I may see like if I'm fantasizing about something, then I may see myself. Yeah. We just need to hook you up to that machine and find I, out. Okay. <laughs> but I really like the scene afterward where he like steps into it and is kind of interacting with the, like there are all these fibers that are going mm. up through it. And I really like the way they they set that up. Mm-hmm. And that machine alone is a really great piece of production design. Yeah, and it also sort of felt like it was a way to then distinguish the scene later on when it's like the 2D machine that they have, which yeah. I also liked that too. Like, So yeah, even though maybe the explanations of why we have like a 3D version and a 2D version are like rather superfluous that don't make a lot of sense i i did still like that distinction and i thought that it really helped to again build out the world that oh there's like there's this technology but there's also like different levels that this technology can operate in and that he has the high-end one and the you know the government has like a lower end one that they have to work with i thought that was a nice touch I did love that. And I liked that they set up that he has that working relationship with the DA's office where he will go in and like, you know, 
quote unquote interrogate people by like going into their memories. Like that all felt like even little things like that, like that offered you this insight, this window into this world. Yeah. Uh, And it's, I do think it's a little unfair to say this, but it is sort of hard to shake the inception vibes from this movie. Yeah. You know, I, I don't want to, really just unilaterally say that because obviously Lisa Joy, she's her own filmmaker with her own stories. And, you know, I don't want to just lay that association on her just because she's related to the Nolan. I said it in my review. The movie is and her. She's going to be compared unfairly and unfavorably. And it's inevitable. It's like a really shitty thing. But also, too, she is playing with concepts of time. There are some shots that do look like they came straight out of Inception. It's like it does it. it it's like she is bringing the comparison on, onto herself instead of doing something that's more distinctive. Don't you think? Oh, yeah. I mean, the, the fact that like there's also scenes where a character will be talking about something and even the way that it cuts back and forth to those scenes like it feels mm. very much like something in Inception. The whole thing about entering somebody's mind and how this technology has like uh connections to the government like that's also straight out of inception and it is a little unfair but it is also very hard to shake that when i'm watching the movie because it does not only the story feels connected to it but just even stylistically it, it feels connected to that film too i mean with that said i you know even though jonathan nolan is a producer on the movie and i'm sure that he and Lisa Joy have this incredible pillow talk where they talk very philosophically <laughs> about time and everything else, all you know, all the time. Um, I, I would like to see her do something that does not invite these comparisons in the future. But for now, um, I think this is a great way still for her to get, you know, her name in the door in the feature uh, business in Hollywood. Oh, yeah, I agree with that, too. All right. So for final thoughts on Reminiscence, uh, Dan Baer, we'll start off with you. Reminiscence is the type of movie that I wish was made more often in Hollywood. It is an original story that is using uh, tropes from genres that we don't see anymore to do something that is (laughs) currently unique. And I wish that more studios took a chance on this kind of stuff. At the same time, it could have been done a little better, but I'm here for it. All right. Bianca Gardner. Yeah, I agree. I really like the fact that this is, um, you know, original movie and I really enjoy the, the noir aspects of it. I, I love noir. It's one of my favorite genres. And I think this movie was really sort of interesting with how it, it, approached you know those tropes and tried to incorporate them into a story which some sci-fi elements i think the film is beautifully shot i really like the acting Uh, i thought there's some really interesting action sequences with a great shootout which you know is probably one of my favorite uh, action scenes this this year and some very strong female characters um i just wish that that it had been longer And I wish it didn't have that really sort of tacked on ending. But aside from that, I think it's a very solid movie. Josh Parm. Two quick things I want to mention. One, uh, I do want to reiterate that um, the scene with St. Joe, uh, he is like a really like fun villain in this movie, which there really isn't any. And so he brought like a lot of like fun energy to that role and made a 
made an impression despite not being in the movie a ton. And I agree. I wish he was in the movie more because he was like the only villain that actually seemed entertaining to watch. And it is a pretty good shootout scene, too. So I do really like that moment in that character. I do wish that he was in it more. Um, And the other thing that I want to mention is even though that this is a sci fi movie that uses like a lot of these very, you know, kind of heady concepts with all this technology by far the most unrealistic thing about this movie is that nobody could recognize cliff curtis how is that possible <laughs> like the minute he popped on screen and then he showed up again it's like wait a minute is that that guy we saw earlier of course it was it was cliff curtis most unrealistic <laughs> thing about the movie <laughs> but still very good I, I did find myself enjoying the movie a good deal surprisingly so and i agree with you dan i wish we get more movies like this because i think it's a very solid effort yeah, I enjoyed the movie. I didn't love it. I definitely think the execution is messy at times and it doesn't fully come together as well as it possibly could have. But I admire the effort. I admire the themes of this movie. And I always like movies that on a philosophical level do get me asking questions. And of course, I like putting myself then in the character's uh, shoes and wondering like, oh, what would I have done in this situation? Oh, like this is how that character's journey ends. How would I feel about that? You know, and so a movie that gets me uh, engaged in that sort of way is something that I always will appreciate. But overall, um, I, I like I said, I think it's a, a, a solid first effort with some flaws. And I recognize wholeheartedly that I am being very lenient because I've seen some people react to this movie much more harshly than any of us have on this review today and i understand that but speaking just for myself here as mentioned uh by a few of you as well like i want to see original ideas and 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 executed in this way uh more frequently uh within the hollywood studio system doesn't have to be a hundred million dollar budget it can be well you know within that mid-budget uh range instead and still have that glossy studio shine to it and once again as i kind of mentioned a while back with a movie like motherless brooklyn uh, as another noir um i really got to commend warner brothers for being one of the few major studios that are still green lighting projects such as this with these kinds of budgets with these kind of big name actors whereas everybody else is just defaulting to sequels and ip so I, I, I kind of feel like I have to give this movie the benefit of the doubt, despite uh, some of its flaws. With that said, I'm giving the movie a 6 out of 10. I liked it. I'm not too, too high on it. I just watched it again a second time this morning, right before we hopped on to this review here today. And I got to admit, I didn't enjoy it maybe as much as I did the first time around either, but... Overall, I'm sticking with my 6 out of 10. Bianca? Yeah, I'm giving it a 6 out of 10 as well. Dan Bear? Um, I am actually going to give it the benefit of the doubt and give it a 7 out of 10. Josh Parm? I'm going to be with Dan. 7 out of 10. Okie dokie. Reminiscence, Oscar potential. Do we think that the production design might get cited by anybody in later on in the season? I well, wanted to. No. Yeah, <laughs> I really wanted to, but I kind of have my doubts on it. Yeah, I was thinking like at best art directors guild, maybe, you know, with yeah, the, like, in fantasy, the fantasy yeah. Yeah. field. Yeah, yeah, I can see that, you know, the, you know, and then I was trying to I was thinking to myself, what an impressive opening shot that the movie had where it was this big, 
long shot of the city that just glides closer and closer until we get into a close-up of Hugh Jackman that early on I was like, oh, are we looking at any kind of visual effects work here that might stand out? And I think the visual effects work is pretty seamless at times in terms of how it uh, works in the background with set extensions and things of that nature. But there really wasn't anything else that stood out to me, even with the uh, visions in the tank. Uh, nothing ever kind of jumped out at me as, oh, this could be a visual effects co- contender. I-, I-, I don't see that happening either. Yeah, no, the only thing is the how they do the memories, really. I would love for the production design to get uh, recognized, but... Unfortunately, it's not going to happen. Yeah, it's just not that kind of movie. Anything else? Anybody? Um, no, I think the production design, like visual effects, are the most likely things for this film, and I think it's going to struggle to get those nominations. Unfortunately, um, I did really like the score. I think that was another good element, but again, I would be highly di- doubtful that that will even make the short list at the end of the year. Yeah. Yeah, no, I agree. All right, well, that'll do it here for our review of Reminiscence on the Next Best Picture podcast. Bianca Gardner, tell everyone that's listening right now where they can find you on the internet. Well, if you travel back in time in my memories, um, no, you can find, <laughs> <laughs> no, you can find me over uh, at the Film B on Twitter. Dan Bear, you can find me on Twitter at Danson Dan on Film. Josh Parham, I'm on Twitter at Jr Parham. And you can find me at Next Best Picture. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening to the Next Best Picture podcast. We are proud to be part of the Evergreen Podcast Network, and you can subscribe to us anywhere where you subscribe to podcasts. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and let us know what you think of the show. We really appreciate your feedback and your support. Which you can also lend on over at Patreon. For $1 minimum a month, you will get some exclusive podcast content from us. Thank you so much for listening, as always. And we shall see you all next time. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply at LifeMD.com. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications through LifeMD? LifeMD is now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. Probably the easiest thing I've ever done. The medication comes in the mail and it's very easy to use. I've been able to live my normal lifestyle and I've lost 20 pounds already and I've never felt better. It changed my life. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com.